I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Welcome to Conversations with Annalisa Barbieri. That's me. I'm a broadcaster and journalist, and my Ask Annalisa column appears in The Guardian every Saturday. Each week, I'm lucky enough to speak to some amazingly insightful, top-of-their-field specialists, and this podcast gives me the opportunity to speak to them in much more detail on subjects that come up all the time. I self-fund this project, and I'd love to continue to do more, so if you'd like to support us and also listen to this podcast series free of ads, do join us over on Patreon, where you can also get the podcasts before they go on general release. Go to patreon.com forward slash Annalisa Barbieri. Otherwise, you can leave a one-off donation on ACAS Supporter. You can find the link for that in the description of this episode, or just please listen and share as much as you can. It would also mean a lot to us if you left a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. After a few years of doing my column, and I'm not sure why it took me so long, I realised that so many people who write into me had a very strong self-critic. And then when I thought about it, I realised so did I. I used to spend nights awake tossing and turning and replaying conversations in my head, answering to a very censorious inner critic and trying to justify how I could have done better, but I very seldom do this now. Sometimes these self or inner critics have become so integral we see them as just part of our personality, and yet a powerful inner critic can stop you doing things, hold you back, and in extremis make life rather miserable. By the way, I use these terms self and inner critic interchangeably, although, as we're about to hear, there is a slight difference. In this episode, I talk with integrative psychotherapist Julia Bueno, who is registered with the UKCP. Julia practices in London and also online and has a specialist interest in working with infertility and pregnancy loss. Her first book, The Brink of Being, is about just this. But having worked with hundreds of self-critics, she has just written a book called Everyone's a Critic, which was published in 2022. We're going to talk about where your self-critic might have come from, how to recognise what is healthy analysis of a situation, e.g. should I take that job, should I make that move, and what is a harsh, self-limiting self-critic. Being no stranger to this myself, I also tell you what works for me and how I bring my inner cheerleader in to fight it out with my inner critic. 
Hello, Julia, and welcome to this episode. Can we start off by looking at what is an inner critic and a self-critic and what's the difference? Hello, and thank you so much for having me. Inner critic and self-critic is often used interchangeably, and that's absolutely fine. But kind of being really technical, I suppose there's a difference in that an inner critic can refer to an internalised person or voice or sense inside of us that criticizes us and that might be someone in particular so I'm thinking as an example many years ago my first job in the city as a trainee lawyer I had a a particularly cruel boss who would really work quite hard to undermine me I mean he literally would would shout at me and on one one occasion threw a file in my direction that's horrible. Yeah, he really was quite cruel and wasn't allowed to have trainees for a bit after me. But even to this day, many years later, you know, when I when I bring him to mind and I think of his sort of voice and his shouting, his behaviours, that's a sort of inner critic. A self-critic is more about in the direction of when we're attacking ourselves. So it's more about maybe your own voice telling yourself you're not good enough or own kind of internal sense of me. So it's more a kind of relationship with yourself rather than a relationship with an external other you know other person critic but as i say it's often used interchangeably because i can imagine that if you've had an early inner critic it might be really hard to separate out what that yes. is because you you become self-critical because of criticism from an outside source is that right exactly and i and i think that's, that's exactly the point that that our self-criticism is what i believe it, it is born out of an external source of criticism, maybe lots of them. I mean, there's there's a kind of constellation of them that might pile up. I mean, if all goes well, maybe you don't have a self critic, but you're aware of this inner critic. But you, it, you know, if I if it was just that boss in my head, who occasionally popped up, that probably wouldn't kind of get in my life because I'm able to look back and think, oh, he was cruel, and it doesn't bother me. Mm-hmm. But if I've had thousands of bosses like that, and then they've kind of accrued and and forged a, a really profound belief in myself that I'm worthy of criticism it's become a self-critic that's a sort of different matter really that can really get in the way of things well I suppose really for any kind of negative comment to land it has to have a little bit of a hook within us Mm. perhaps so I mean I don't think many people are sort of born super confident so I mean if I was just thinking if somebody said I was really bad at I don't know tree climbing it wouldn't bother me at all because I'm not really good at tree climbing and I don't particularly care. But if they said I was really bad at other things, which I'm not going to say out loud because never give people ammunition, you know, then that might land. So I suppose the criticism has to land in some way, doesn't it? Yes, and it can become a self-perpetuating thing. So, you know, if you've been criticised and you're beginning to kind of erode your sense of self-worth or self-criticism, then yet you're more likely to be sensitive to things landing and so on. And... I think you just said we're not born super confident, but you're absolutely right. We're born, I think, very malleable. We're shaped by our caregivers and influences around us. You know, I I personally think we're not born, come out of our mother's body thinking my thighs are too fat for my nappy. (laughs) (laughs) Just, you know, stuff happens uh, around Mm. us and things are said to us and influences that, that can well make us believe that we're not good enough and exactly if you're at a very tender age told you're really bad at tree climbing you're going to believe that if you're three four five external critics can can percolate and and really shape our sense of self I mean ultimately I guess what I'm getting about when I write about self-criticism when I talk to people about self-criticism it's about your relationship with yourself it's a really deep thing (laughs) Mm. 
I want to ask you more about that, but sure. I just want to go back to where our inner stroke self-critic comes from. I mean, we've talked about, I guess it can come from anyone, parents, siblings, teachers. You've talked about your boss mm. and work. I mean, really, there's sort of an endless capacity you're right. <laughs> for, for other people sort of criticising us. Number one is how do we know if we have an inner critic and... What can we do to protect ourselves from Um, it? Okay, so starting with where can it come from? I I completely agree with you. I think there's an endless source and perhaps even more than there used to be with the the rise of of internet culture, social media, etc. But we'll come back to that. So, for example, in my book, obviously I can't cover everything, but I I sort of thought about the things that come up a lot in therapy and what I talk to people about. So I've got these seven fictional case studies and through the conversations that we have, it, it kind of we unpack uh, the possible, probable contributions to self-critic. It's, it's very rarely just one, mm-hmm. because life is complex and we have so many influences coming at us. So, so for example, one of my clients, my fictional clients, he's very defended against his story because it's so painful. But it turns out that he was quite savagely bullied in in both primary and secondary school and that's mm, i remember that reading that story yeah. it's really interesting so of course if you had years and years and a really formative time especially in our adolescence when i mean literally our brain is rewiring like crazy but also that's the time when we we turn away from the family into our peers for approval and fitting in and a sense of belonging if we're repeatedly feeling rejected and criticized for that well that that can be really really pernicious so so bullying being being one there's another story of course therapists and especially in long-term therapy might might spend a lot of time exploring the kind of early imprints of our lives mum dad and you, you mentioned siblings actually I'm just sort of talking to someone at the moment who who's well into adulthood but is still really suffering the the implications of of a very very toxic relationship with an older sibling who was very very mean to her parents were okay but this but the sibling was quite troubled but also it can be a bit more subtle than that it might be that you've got a, a parent who's struggling for whatever reason and might be psychologically or or physically very absent and when we're little, it's it's very normal developmentally to rather than blame our parents for being bad or not being that comes later. Being, that comes later. But when we're little, to make sense of it, we it's very natural to turn in on ourselves. Yeah. You know, in in terms of sort of attachment biology, we need our attachment figures, our caregivers, mum or dad or auntie or granny, to be near us to. I mean, to put it really frankly, to feed us, keep us warm, keep us sheltered. So we can't kind of afford to to believe that they're they're not up to it. So if if they're absent, it's very normal and human to blame yourself. To think there must be something bad about me or wrong about me. But as I say, sometimes it can be very explicit because you might have a parent that does lash out on you and and blame you. another story I tell about a young a young woman who you know unwittingly came from a family of very high achievers and they were all the bar was set very high early on to do and do a lot and she mm. she has an extraordinary uh, repertoire of skills and achievements and even in her working life and I see this more and more with young people having the pressure to have so many kind of side hustles alongside their jobs but you know it, it, if the bar is set that high it's very easy to to therefore feel like you're failing 
there mm. are other kind of bigger forces out there which we really should not ignore more kind of closer to home dynamics but I also try and look at in my book the forces of sexism and, and racism and and religion obviously I can't cover everything but you know I talk to people who are taken on sort of enormous pressures from yeah from from the culture around us for example, uh, one, one of my stories is is about a, a woman who I meet a bit later on in life, but she was raised in a very kind of fundamentalist Christian environment where it was sort of impossible for her to ever think about herself. It would be she grew up thinking it would be very, very selfish to to consider her needs and desires. So if she did, she'd feel very critical of herself. I'm also thinking, you know, I can disclose I, I was raised as a Catholic and I remember my my adorable Colombian grandmother who who I was very, very fond of. But she was very f- fierce about her, her religion and, and conveying that to me. And I remember as a very young child, literally being fearful of the, the flames of hell lapping at my feet because I, I don't know, I think I'd fibbed or something. Going back mm. to where we started, there are lots and lots of sources of external criticism that, that can percolate and make us feel very badly about ourselves. And they constellate differently for every person. I'm guessing that a little bit of self-doubt is normal. Yep. So how can we recognise if there's something more going on? And then how can we start to kind of unpack that and maybe separate out what's in front of us and what's come from yeah you know, outside sources? Really good question, um, because I, I agree with you. I think we all, I, speaking for myself, I certainly need a self-critic. I know I can step over the line with my humour sometimes, and my family would definitely agree with that. So I think it's about something about knowing that when we've cocked up for a better phrase and, and we need to take stock and self-correct, but but that sort of dusting ourselves down and, and learning from it and apologising, as opposed to completely globalizing a mistake and lacerating yourself you know for I am a dreadful person you know I, I'm totalizing myself and that being a much more kind of impactful feeling that can really get in the way of living our lives so I don't know whether that helps as a sort of rudder of knowing when self-criticism gets well self-criticism can get in the way of so much in a life if you find yourself I don't know for example really ruminating over something as I say you know if all goes well and you make a mistake oh whoops I made a mistake didn't mean to do that and you make amends or if you're kind of constantly ruminating over it and I again I, I put this in the book and I talk to people who might lose sleep over something they've said or done you know reread emails they've they've sent a hundred times and really kind of punish themselves for a mistake or an imagined mistake. So so when it's sort of taking up a lot of bandwidth, this judgment of yourself, I think that's something to, to consider. It's sort of like a, a loss of perspective that is beyond maybe a day or something and kind of something goes on and on and on and also or a couple of hours depending on what it is. But also maybe if you don't do things because of this kind of critic so you might not take a job you yeah. might not get on and write your book Annalisa <laughs> um, or you may not you know you may not do something but I suppose it's hard to know what's natural kind of procrastination doubt but also sometimes let's take the example of moving jobs I mean, there's a lot to think about there so how would you know if it was your inner critic stopping you 
or legitimate concerns. I guess a couple of things leap to mind there is listen to other people around you. You know, if you're being encouraged to apply for the job by your peer or your boss, that's pretty good evidence that you have the skills and you're up for it. Is it just you who's discounting it? Are you the only person? The other thing is always be aware or just tune in to how is it that you're talking to yourself about this inside of you? And the, the kind of rule of thumb that I use and is sort of very commonly used is, you know, are you talking to yourself like you would a good friend? A good friend comes around and says she wants to apply for a job. You might think she's up for it or she might not. But what would you be saying and what would you be feeling toward her? That mirroring how you are with yourself. Are you giving yourself the time of day just to even think about it? And quite often it emerges that that I mean, I've had this conversation with someone this week who immediately just was considering an opportunity. And without even thinking, there was, oh, no, I can't possibly I can't possibly do it. And you dig a bit more. I can't possibly be up for it. I'm I don't have that this or that. I'm not necessarily saying that, yes, you're going to be up for the job every time, but just giving yourself a proper kind of space and airtime and treatment that you would for anybody else. Yeah, I think that's a really good guide, actually, because we do tend to be much, much harder on ourselves. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. If we do recognize we have, I mean, I have quite a few (laughs) and I have learned by various means and lots and lots of therapy, but sometimes if I'm sort of tired or whatever, it's, it's still quite difficult and I'm going to 
tell you about one of the ways that I deal with my Mm. inner critic in a minute. But if someone listening recognises this and thinks, oh, you know, I can hear the voice of my mum or my dad or, you know, my boss, what can they do about it? That's a really good place to start, which is the awareness. So quite often when I meet, when, when we begin to work with this with clients, the first stage, which is really worth doing properly, and by that I mean sort of thoroughly and with intent and with time, is tuning in to your self-critic, becoming increasingly aware of him or her. I'll say her because, you know, it's inside, it's inside of me. Because quite often self-criticism isn't that obvious to someone. They might come and talk to me about feeling feeling rubbish or feeling like they're feeling lonely or they're not they're not belonging or they're not kind of progressing or they're just feeling very low it can self-criticism runs like a golden thread through very low mood and depression after all and indeed some anxiety and quite often people don't realize that they are talking to themselves or or have that voice and as I, it might not even be a voice sometimes people can tune into their own voice telling them oh god you're an idiot or sometimes it's become like the wallpaper They're just not even Mm. realising they're doing it. At the first stage, it's about bringing it into your awareness. Clocking that you're doing it is the first vital step. And it might mean you, you do a bit of reverse engineering. So this is what happened to me. It took me a long time to work out that actually I was really attacking myself. And I would work, I work it out by first having to be aware of just how bad I felt about myself. I just had a sort of you know toe curling wincy feeling that I just didn't like oh god I'm sort of almost you know ashamed of myself and from that feeling I could work backwards and realize ah okay yeah I've just been saying this stuff to myself so it wasn't immediately obvious that's the first stage is just getting people to be to get more and more aware of their self-critic and sometimes it's I, I talk to people, I get this sort of little bit of homework with people and they come back the next week and they go, oh, bloody hell, I didn't realise. I just thought it mm. happened at work. But I realised that actually in the morning, I in the shower, I'm scrubbing my body and I'm looking at my body and I'm attacking my wobbly bits and my, you know, my nose in the mirror, or whatever. And that's quite enlightening to, to see the full length, breadth, depth of the self-critic, because I don't think we can work with it until we've got its full measure. Mm. My mantra is with the spirit of curiosity. Oh, gosh, isn't this interesting? I'm doing this again. And and wow, God, it's doing it. She's here. She's there. She's everywhere. As soon as we bring something to an awareness, we create a bit of space around it. It's not it's not Mm. the answer. Actually, I'm going to contradict myself, you know, once in a blue moon and it happens very rarely. And I can think of someone particularly in my mind who I said to that homework, you know, just to tune in, try and be more aware. And she came back the following week and said, I decided to kind of write, write it all down every time I notice myself critic. And that's enough. I'm not going to do it anymore. What a load of baloney. <laughs> but that's that's rare to be able to to um, decouple yourself from a self critic with just the awareness, I think. What do you think the next step so, is? So the next step, I think, is to recruit all that that thinking that may have happened may may happen in therapy may have happened already may happen outside of therapy just through through thinking around the sources of self-criticism just as we were talking about a few moments ago what is it that has led me to attack myself in this way you know was it oh no wonder actually that bullying episode bullying such a shameful experience that I often find it 
takes quite a while to come out in therapy. We might talk about mm. lots of things and then, oh, actually, oh, it's a bit silly. Oh, no, the people quite often discount it. There was this year and year seven when, and whoa, you know, I never underestimate that. So, so for example, you, you bring into your own awareness all the hurts you went through and all the possible probable reasons as to why you it took in this inner critics, they became self-critics. So again, it's that, that spirit of, ah, no wonder I believe I'm rubbish because, well, I was, in a roundabout way, I was told I was rubbish time and time again. How could I not have believed it? I, you know, you'd have to be a robot. In the recruiting of that thinking, again, it just helps kind of keep that space, build a space around it. When we don't have that awareness and the self-critic is, is grab the steering wheel, we're, we're completely blended and it can feel mm. so credible, can't it? When you're in the throes of it, well, it, it can feel like I am unworthy. I am worthy of being criti criticised. I am rubbish, just to use lots of different words. So the, the task is, I think, to, to decouple, to unblend, to get that space between the two. So as I say, the awareness and then recruiting that good thinking, uh, just as you, again, going back to this anchor, just as you would a friend, someone you like and they, they're just being really crappy to you. You know, they've just been really horrid and, and maybe out of character. But you might let them off the hook because you think, oh, well, fair enough. You know, they've just been made redundant or, you know, they're really worried about their kid or they've had no sleep or they're, you know, having a horrible time in the menopause. Well, the list is long. We can understand by contextualizing and understanding other people's behavior. You know, we it, that really helps, doesn't it? So I think the same applies for ourselves. Ah, oh, okay, I can understand why I'm doing this to myself. Yes, but I suppose if you're in self-critic is very mm. strong, you also don't have much space for self-compassion. Mm. I mean, what one of the things that I've tried to start doing since I've been aware and something I've tried to sort of pass on to my children is to sort of hear that voice. And I would say, put your hand on your mm -hmm. chest because I find it, it's uh, it's quite grounding. And then I say, and then we bring in the cheerleader. And so we have the self-critic who says, you haven't done enough today, or this is my, this I'm because I'm, I'm a massive overachiever. And then we have the cheerleader and the cheerleader counterbalances that and says, well, you've done this, you've done that. Or, you know, well, you know, you didn't feel very well today. Or, and it's, it's almost like you, it, externalize it or I externalize it and kind of let them fight it out themselves and what I find I mean I quite often have like a picture of a seesaw and there's a lot of up and down up and down and then it kind of balances and by externalizing mm -hmm. it I guess what you're talking about imagine you're talking to a friend you can detach from it a bit mm -hmm. that has taken me years and years and years like you said you have to first acknowledge that there is a self-critic because it can become so much part yeah. of you that you think it's your personality and, you know, it's it's quite hard to, when you're already criticising yourself, to then further kind of dismantle, for want of a better word, your personality. It's quite complicated the more you think about yeah, it, Yeah, and, and you're right, it is complicated. Sometimes this work can take a very long time because we're talking about kind of rewiring uh, the mm. most powerful relationship we have, which is with ourselves. Um, but I love I just wanted to back up a bit because I love that idea of you putting your hand on your chest, because what I talk to a, a lot of with clients is when we criticize ourselves, our brain is reorganizing itself to be in threat mode. 
our brains are, are rubbish at sifting out internal or external threats. In the same way that if I shut my eyes now and think of a yummy chocolate cake coming out the oven, and I'm not a very visual person, my stomach will start. If I sit with that image for long enough, which will be seconds, actually, do you know what already has happened? A bit of saliva is in my mouth. Oh, my mouth is watering. Yep. So my stomach is 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 uh, already getting ready to digest. Okay. In the same way, if I shut my eyes and think about someone really sexy, I might get turned on. If I, in my imagination, have a critic, which is what's going on, if I've got a voice in my head saying, you're really shit at that, that that's no different from it, you know, in the same way that there's no real cake. Someone scary standing there and telling me I'm, I'm rubbish. So our brain organizes. When we're criticizing ourselves, we're actually putting it into threat mode. So you putting your hand on your chest is just a wonderful action we can do. When we're in threat mode, the sympathetic nervous system comes online, the fight or flight. The mm -hmm. antidote is rest and digest, the parasympathetic mm -hmm. nervous system. There are lots of things that we can do to help bring that online. We naturally do it to each other. So when you're in the face of someone who's in distress, who you care about, you naturally, you, you might throw your arms around them, you give them a hug, mm. you rub their back, you go into, your voice will change into sing-song mode. You, you use their body, you use your body to get their body to calm down, you get them to breathe properly again. Then, and only then, do you say, tell me what happened. You don't, in the face of someone in floods of tears, say, tell me what happened. You naturally do that. Now, we don't do that for ourselves. When I talk to people about self-criticism, when they're learning to rebuild, it has to involve the, the body and, what, and bringing our body into, into the frame. And putting your hand on your chest when we're feeling very critical is a, is a wonderful, wise thing to do because it's an act of, of warmth. But also, I think I'm right in saying the research says that that does bring our parasympathetic nervous system online giving ourselves a hug, dropping our jaw, muscle contraction and relaxation, that all this sort of body work stuff that, that I might talk people through is, is also vital for the whole task, I think. Sometimes people say, take a deep breath, you know, and actually that there is sort of proper science behind mm. it now that that does help. But, you know, a lot of these things we just kind of, and I think because of that, I kind of took them for granted and didn't, I thought they were just like, you know, woo-woo stuff. Mm. But actually, the more I've learned, the more I've realised that it does it does help start the process. Or, you know, like if sometimes that they say to ground yourself, to feel yeah. the ground beneath your feet. Yeah. It sounds sort of too simple to work, but actually it does help. It does start the process. It's, it's interesting you say that because, um, yeah, I think it, for a lot of people it sounds woo-woo. But when I tell people that there are research, there's plenty, 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 plenty of research now coming about, out about what we can do to bring the parasympathetic nervous system online and that can be checked by our heart rate variability and the kind of cortisol and the saliva and sometimes I feel like I have to do a PR job on that for people to to be persuaded to use the body and when people uh, and they come back to me and they find that if they've done a little bit of the, that grounding and muscle contraction and relaxation the, the stuff I'm talking about then they've got a little bit more room to not blending to be aware of ah okay they've brought themselves down a notch or two but as you say in the, in the thick of it, it can be really really difficult is an inner critic or self-critic ever useful yes i think so because we're all human beings and we're all flawed and we all make mistakes and we can all act in unskillful ways but rather than going 
I suppose the word is correction rather than criticism. The mm-hmm. metaphor that's, that I go to in my mind is, you know, what kind of teacher do you want? I, I was uh, in primary school in the 70s when it was still just about okay to give a kids a wallop. And I yeah. remember very well, I had a teacher who we had the kind of absolute shame of having kind of public chart on the wall and you'd get stars and then you know if you're really good you get a gold star and everyone would aim to get a gold star because there's a big whopping gold star that would shine brightly from the wall but if you were naughty you'd get a big black felt it mark that she would make a big um, circle it's yeah. really humiliating I can still remember the humiliation of having black marks by my name the next year, I had a what would probably be described as a Montessori, lovely, we called her by her first name, and she was all about positive praise. I've still got my school reports, and I, you know, no wonder, which one did I do better in? Where did I learn the most? Where did I thrive? Two plus two is five uh, with my other teacher. Good try, well done, but let's, let's get it right. So that was about correction, not criticism, mm. you idiots. Yeah, not you're, humiliation. Here's a black mark and stand in the corner with your back to the class which literally happens so that's the metaphor that I hold in my mind that that yes we need criticism for getting things wrong but how do we go about it and it's interesting I'm in in um you know I think this is being really used in in sports psychology that the best way to to motivate and and do really well and get your smash your pbs or be a world record holder we know now that uh, it's it's through the kind of warmth and compassion and correction. You know, you can do better, but you can do better with it, that encouragement rather than ka-choo. that's me making a noise of a whip. By the way, <laughs> oh, I, got that. I got that. I suppose also it depends if it's if it's sort of quite seemingly low level criticism, but it's continuous. I can see how that would erode. I mean, I've got a very strong FU gene. And I remember an English teacher at school, I was really proud of a sentence I wrote in A level. And she said, don't tell me you wrote that sentence. And I had never forgot that. It was the injustice. I, I was so proud of the imagery I'd come up with. And just the fact that she didn't believe me. So I suppose it can depend. Can we talk a little bit about social media? Because I, my eldest is now 18. When she was 17, I, we talked about it and she got Instagram and that's the only social media she has. My youngest is 13 and I don't let her have social media. Mm. And that's partly because having done my guardian job for 14 years and spoken to many, many psychotherapists, one of the things I've learned is that as you're developing, it's very, very important that you form an opinion of yourself that's positive. Mm. And sometimes social media can really interrupt with that and actually make you form an opinion of yourself that's not really based on you and it strikes me that given what we're hearing about children adolescents and mental health issues and social media that it must must it not give them a very strong self-critic if we're not careful absolutely I mean I I can't challenge that at all it's some of the things I learn are, are frankly terrifying and in particular I'm thinking of young girls not even young adults but sort of young girls wanting to have their bodies change literally wanting f- their faces change because there's mm. the sort of morphing of the instagram of, of the phone camera on the face that they want to mimic so that's just an extreme example but absolutely i think um it's a, it's a potentially really corrosive effect and some schools are on it because they've been dealing with the fallout so I, as parents we you know, being really aware of it and talking to our kids and frankly, kind of being very mindful of how much exposure they have to it and keeping it real 
reminding them, you know, what is real and what isn't. Yeah, and that's really hard. I mean, you're absolutely right about the filters, but also the filter that people put, the sort of invisible filter that people put on their life. Yeah. You know, it's 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 so heavily curated. Absolutely. And it and it can. I mean, you know, I've had people writing into me saying, you know, I'm on social media and I'm not the perfect mother. And I'm like, nobody is. So I think even when you're an adult, you're not immune to developing a very strong self-critic from outside sources. I work with somebody long time ago now and social media was a big part of his life he worked in a kind of field which was visual so he needed to be on it for his and, and, and a lot of his network he went away out of town he got there late at the hotel you know went to sleep woke up in the shower he noticed that this is strange I'm feeling sort of quite kind of calm and good about things and and he couldn't work it out until he was drying himself he realized he'd left his phone in the car in the car park overnight Mm. And he hadn't woken up, grabbed his phone, started scrolling. And that for me was such a powerful story that stuck in my head as to how quickly just a few seconds of scrolling could make him feel on edge, a bit anxious, the whole shebang that goes with it. It's a very simple intervention, but I work with a lot of people. And you're right, because it's not just kids, but it's adults too who feel the pressure of social media. But of the power of digital detoxing, switching the phone off, leaving it behind, taking apps off the phone so you can only go on to look at the kind of web version, which is sort of more clunky. These little tiny things can make an extraordinary difference. I mean, I'm all over social media, but I have a digital detox every summer just to to recalibrate. I've always been a total technophile, but I do believe in controlling that technology. Mm. I mean, my partner's a photographer, so very early on we showed our children what Photoshop does and how you can look. And so they understood. But still, I think it's really, really hard. So, Julia, once people have got a bit of an idea of maybe whether they do have a self-critic or not and where that may or may not have come from, any other tips for how they can mute it? Yes, I mean, when I've talked about sort of the idea of kind of recruiting the understanding, you know, understanding the possible probable causes of your self-critic, the next stage really is to think about what you went through when you experienced that criticism. What is it Mm -hmm. that you needed? I mean, it felt horrible, but what would have made it better? What would, if if in an ideal world, if you could go back in time and wave a magic wand, what would have prevented the impact of that that criticism? And the likelihood is something along the lines of a grown-up, someone intervening and soothing you, making you realise that, you know, you are okay and that you and that experience was being acknowledged. I mean, most people have a very ready idea of exactly what they needed. Actually, more often than not, me people say to me they needed a hug. They needed someone to get in there and, and make them mm. feel safe and acknowledged and, and that they are OK. So obviously we can't go back in time. And more often than not, we can't go back to our bullies and ask for that. And especially if we've had complicated relationships with family members who've really hurt us. But the next best thing that we can do is to go there in our own heart and mind and and send ourselves that compassion that we needed back then. I mean, when I've done some work, what I've done is I've gone back to a childhood thing and brought my adult self, almost like a big sister, and stood up for myself. And I've actually got really emotional yeah. when I've done that. You know, because when, when someone said to me, you know, what would you say to that little girl? It's really upset me. And I think that's quite an important thing to do, to, to sort of to sort of replay it in your mind and redo it 
And actually with enough time, I wouldn't say you, in my experiences, you don't forget it, but you diffuse that really hot emotion and sort of it goes to sort of room temperature. <laughs> yeah, it. It's, um, some people do talk about reparenting it in a child, but using that part of you that is the adult self and is totally capable of sending compassion. You know, everybody I speak to who struggles with self with self-criticism finds it easy peasy to send compassion to their loved ones Mm. so it's just about doing a u-turn you know switching that flow of compassion back onto that younger you who went through that that kind of really hurtful experience if you've been a self-critic for so long you're so hardened to being soft to yourself to being kind to yourself that the idea of then it's a bit naught to 90 then saying well you just go back Mm. go back in time and throw yourself a hug metaphorically what I might say to somebody there that's okay that is normal and it's a process so start with someone else it might be you've got a a niece or a child or a a godchild or somebody who's kind of a version of you an ishness of you mm-hmm. pop her or him in the in the equation instead imagine that person has just been through exactly what you've been through that might be much easier place to start with because you're you're kind of um, warming up the cogs, if that's a, if you can warm up yeah, cogs. Well, you're one removed. You're one you? removed, but you're still kind of getting towards the territory of of warming up that inner climate that you're in. You talked about people who are expert self critics showing compassion to other people. I think sometimes we show to other people what we ourselves would have wanted but didn't get. But it's very hard to then open up and show vulnerability because like you said you've become so you've become so protective of yourself and in a weird way sort of self-critic is is what you're used to that just then sort of like crack open that carapace and do some work is is really can be really hard so what you said is really useful maybe practice on someone else or just take it really slowly and just think of something that's not sort of really painful it's hard isn't it really hard and yeah definitely needs needs time and um and I'm not saying that that therapy is the holy grail, but it can be really helpful to if you have a trusted friend or partner to talk this out with somebody, because actually having someone, another human being mirroring the compassion that we're talking about that you didn't have or you struggle to give to yourself is really valuable. You know, we can feel the warmth or we might resist it, but we still clock it from another human being. Whoa, that happened to you. I'm so sorry. Yes, it's quite often by telling people and their reaction. I mean, obviously, you have to make sure that they're not <laughs> going to be critical. There's certain things in my life where other people's reaction has made me think, oh, God, that was really crap. You know, and I've sort of made it okay for myself. Also, as someone listening to you, really what therapy is, can often make you sort of hear, hear things back yourself. They might say things like I'm hearing a lot of shoulds. Because these things have become, like you said earlier, wallpaper, they've become normal. And you don't, so someone sort of hearing it and playing it back yeah. to you is is quite kind of useful. Julia, thank you so much. You've given us lots to think about. And hopefully people will go away and be a little bit kinder to themselves after listening to this. So thank you. Thank you so much for having me, Annalisa. Thanks so much to Julia. When I first read her book, it gave me so much to think about. After listening to this, and if you haven't already, you might also find it useful to listen to the Teenager podcast I did with Rachel Melville Thomas in Series 1, as that has a bit in it about how to talk to teenagers and how, even when you're trying to be encouraging, they can take it as criticism. 
You can find out more about Julia on her website, juliabueno.co.uk. The series is produced by Hester Kent. The music is by Toby Dunham and our artwork is by Low Cole. Follow us on Instagram at Pocket Annalisa or you can email us at conversationswithannalisa at gmail.com. If you enjoyed today's episode, it would mean a lot if you could share it with someone you think might like it and also give us a review on iTunes. Please join us again next time. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hello, this is Annalisa. I started doing this podcast because it's an idea I really believe in. So much so that I decided to put my money where my mouth is and self-fund the project. I really want to keep releasing this podcast for free. So if you enjoy this episode, a way you can help is to visit our ACAST supporter page and give what you can. You'll find the link in the episode description. Thank you.